Hello and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are here to reveal God in ways that help everyday people like you. Whether you're a Christian or not, we believe God is not far from any one of us and that he wants to be found. You don't have to look a certain way or have it together to become one of us. We don't have it all together either, but we do have hope in the one who does. Jesus loved everyone, no matter who they were or what they had done, and we want to be just like that. If you'd like to connect with us, stay after the message, and I'll tell you how. Good morning. Uh, my name is Matt Helen. I'm one of the elders here at church, and I have the opportunity to share God's word today. Uh, we get we're giving Pastor Dave a break. Uh, I've, I've able to, I've been able to do this. Uh, for the third time now, and I have a, you have a different respect for preaching when you're up here and the amount of energy and effort that goes into it. So I appreciate uh, all the prayers that people have been praying for me this week. Uh, they're so much appreciated. Uh, but I want to start by wishing everyone a happy Father's Day, at least all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, happy Father's Day to my dad, too. Hopefully he'll, he'll get a chance to listen to this at some point. Like most boys... Uh, when I was young and in elementary school, I saw my dad as a sort of a hero, right? He was smarter than all the other dads, and for sure he was stronger than all the other dads. In my eyes, my dad could do nothing wrong. He really was this hero in my eyes. Of course, as you grow up, then you start to realize he isn't quite as great as you once thought he was, right? So this idea of a hero and dad started, made me start to think about our culture and why in our culture so many people are drawn to these heroes and these superheroes, right? We have Spider-Man, we have Batman, Black Panther, Superman, Luke Skywalker, Wonder Woman. Not only do their stories captivate us, but it seems that we are drawn to them from a young age. Now, I was a child of the 90s. And I was trying to remember the popular superheroes when I was a kid. Uh, we had uh, the Transformers, the, the Ninja Turtles. Uh, but I, I never had a ton of action figures. The one action figure I do remember playing a lot with was He-Man. Does anyone remember He-Man? Yeah, so a, few, a few of you guys out there. He was kind of around the, in the 80s to the early 90s. And I couldn't really remember what his superpower was. I know he had a sweet yellow mullet. And he never wore a shirt. Those are like the two things I could remember about He-Man. Now, now that I'm a father, I have two boys and a daughter. And my two boys are a big fan of superheroes, Logan and Blake. Logan's seven and Blake is five. And they could pick out Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. They could, they could pick them out from a crowd and tell you all about them. And this is without seeing any of the movies. They've just, they've just seen a couple books. They know about Luke Skywalker and Star Wars and can tell you all those stories, again, without ever seeing the movies. And I thought, why is this? What draws us to these heroes and what draws us to their stories? I think the main reason that we are so drawn to heroes is because they are willing and able to stare death in the face and put their own lives on the line for the good of others. Now, some call this courage, others call it bravery, but this willingness to self-sacrifice is universally loved by all people. And it's why we are so drawn to these characters. And today, we are going to be looking at a biblical character who many see as a larger-than-life hero. We're going to look at the story of the mighty Samson. 
Now, the entire narrative can be found in Judges chapters 13 through 16. And today we're going to jump around and look at different aspects of the story. We're going to look at Samson. We are going to look at his character. We're going to look at his strengths and his weaknesses, his fatal flaw. And ultimately, we're going to see that Samson is going to point us towards a greater hero. So before we open up our Bibles to the, to the book of Judges, let's take a minute and pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this Father's Day and we get to come and celebrate um, all that dads mean to us in our lives. We thank you for uh, a chance to worship out here in the park and for the beautiful weather that you provided for us. We praise you and thank you for your goodness, for being our Savior and being our King. Lord, I ask that you would speak your words through me. Um, I, I need it. your helps. I need your help, Father God. So I just pray that your spirit would empower me and would use me to speak your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if, if you have your Bibles with you, open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 13. We're going to start by reading verses 1 through 5. And I have the ESV version, which I'll be reading from. Okay, so Judges 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 to find out a little bit about Samson. And the first thing that we are going to see, the first point I want to make, is that we're going to see that we are hopelessly lost without a rescuer. We are hopelessly lost without a rescuer. So starting in verse 1, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Verse 1 sets the scene for us and repeats the pattern that we see over and over again in the book of Judges. It tells us that the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I want us to start by noticing this word again. If you read through the whole book of Judges, you'll quickly catch on to this pattern that people over and over again decided to do what was right in their own eyes instead of following God. Now last week, Pastor Dave introduced us to the book of Judges and showed us this pattern that is prevalent throughout the book. It's this pattern of people choosing to do what they want instead of what God has called them to do. Canaan. So if you're a map person, if you can picture a map where Israel is and then down into Egypt along the Mediterranean Sea, the Philistines occupied the land on the coast kind of in between Egypt and the, the southwest part of where Israel is today. The Philistines had five city-states, so these five large cities, and they had a ruler or a lord in each city associated with them. The cities were Gaza, which you may have heard of still today, Ashdod, Ekron, 
Ascalon, or sorry, Ashdad and Gath. And Gath was famous because that's where the champion Goliath came from. Culturally, they were known for their strong army, for their metalworks, and their primary idol, Dagon. They were idol worshipers, and this idol was a, was a god of grain for them. They were the Israelites' enemy for many years, starting here at the time of Samson, through the time of Samuel, and through to the time of David, when we see him defeat Goliath. And their influence, interestingly, is still prevalent in our world today. The word Palestine is derived from the word Philistine. So the Israelites have been under the control of these Philistines for 40 years as Manoah and his wife are visited by the angel of the Lord. Now there are a few important details in the birth of Samson that are important for us to understand. The, th the first thing I want us to see is that Samson would be a Nazarite from birth. Now, a Nazarite, you can read about it in Numbers chapter 6, but it was, it was someone who was specially set apart for God. They were set apart, and they were, they were told not to do three things. The first thing is that they could not drink wine or eat grapes. The second thing a Nazarite could not do is that they were not allowed to touch a dead body. Sounds kind of weird, but they weren't allowed to touch a dead body. And the third thing is that a Nazarite could not cut his or her hair. Now, to become a Nazarite, one usually kind of took this oath in their adulthood and they would set themselves apart for a certain period of time. Uh, they would not do these things for a certain period of time and then they would end this vow. They would cut their hair and they'd go back to drinking uh, wine and I guess they could go back to touching dead bodies if they needed to. But it was this, this oath that they took for a certain period of time. What was unique about Samson is that he was a Nazarite from his birth. Not only was he a Nazarite from his birth, but he was to be a Nazarite for his entire life. And we see this as his mother began fulfilling these vows before he was even born. So the first thing is Nazarite was, sorry, Samson was a Nazarite from birth. The second thing we see about the story is that Samson would be set apart for a specific purpose. In verse 5, we see that Samson shall begin to save the Israelite from the hand of the Philistines. See, God raised Samson up for a very specific purpose. And we will see that he truly was a thorn in the side of these Philistines throughout his entire life. Samson was also born at a specific location. Uh, this town of Zorah was right near the border of where the, where the Israelites and the Philistines occupied. And we can see God's sovereignty, sovereignty in, at work through uh, Samson's life in how he, where he was born and what he was called to do. The third thing that we can see through these uh, first few verses, and this is the most important one, is that Israel did not cry out to God, but God still showed them grace through a promised rescuer. Okay, the people of God did not Sorry, yes, the Israelites did not cry out to God this time. Israel, you see, Israel is in this pattern of sin throughout the book of Judges where they would fall into sin and they would call out to God for a rescuer and then he would send them a judge or someone to come and save them from their enemies. And so this pattern repeats over and over again in the book of Judges. What's interesting about the narrative of Samson is that the people of God never cry out to him for help. They never cry out for him, to him for help, but yet he still sends them 
a rescuer. In chapter 15, when the Philistines come out to Judah to specifically try to capture Samson, we won't read this, but it's in chapter 15, what, what the Israelites do is they send 3,000 men to capture their own, in a sense, judge and leader, Samson, for the, for the very purpose of handing him over to the Philistines. It really shows how scared and afraid the Israelites were of these Philistines and that they were unwilling to do anything to try to change the situation that they were in. In verse 11, it says of chapter 15, they say, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? This was where they were at. And they, they were hopeless and lost. They, weren't, they didn't even know that they could ha- call up to God for a rescuer. We also read three separate times in Judges that the people of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And Dave pointed this out last week as well. So clearly, clearly the Israelites are hopeless and lost. They need a rescuer. And yet, despite their wickedness and continually following into this pattern of sinfulness and doing what was right in their own eyes, God sends them a rescuer without them even asking. Cross point, we need to see ourselves in this story. We are just like Israel. They needed a rescuer, a deliverer, a hero to save them from the Philistines. We need a rescuer a deliverer, a hero to save us from our sins. So despite being controlled by the Philistines, despite doing what was right in their own eyes, and without hope or expectation of a change at all, God enters the scene, and he sends a rescuer, this mighty Samson, who is going to begin to save Israel from their sins. Uh, Now that we understand the world that Samson is born into, we are going to jump over to chapter 14, and we are going to learn a little about Samson. We're going to look at his strengths, and we're going to look at his weaknesses, and we're going to see that even the mightiest human heroes still have flaws. That's going to be the second point. Even the mightiest human heroes still have flaws. Going back to this theme of superheroes, I want, to think, I want you to think of your um, favorite superhero, You can probably think of their strengths. Those are easy to think of, but they also have weaknesses as well, right? Um, Any Batman fans out there? I see Danny out there. He's a big Batman fan, I know. Uh, He would know that Batman, his flaw was that he was antisocial, he was obsessive, and he was compulsive. Uh, My kids are are big Luke Skywalker fans, Um, and and he's kind of the hero of the, the Star Wars saga. Uh, But as Yoda told him over and over again, Yoda said, patience you must have, young Padawan. Patience was his problem. He was always impatient. And Superman, everyone knows Superman's weakness, right? Kryptonite. That That was his one weakness. So despite these strengths of these superheroes, we see that they have flaws. The same thing with Samson. Samson had his strength and he had his weaknesses. And we're going to start by looking at Samson's weakness. So we're going to read Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Sorry, Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. (laughs) Okay, Judges 14. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, 
I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and his mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now the first thing I want us to see here is that Samson reflected the sinfulness of Israel. Samson reflected the sinfulness of Israel. Despite being set apart as a Nazarite to God, and despite having two parents who, as far as we know, trusted in God and his promises, Samson is no different than the rest of Israel. Samson's statement at the end of verse 3 sums up his attitude. He said, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Do you see how this is just the same as the attitude that the Israelites had? And throughout the narrative, we're going to see that Samson's controlled by his selfish desires, primarily a lust for woman, instead of a desire to trust and obey God. Just think about that. If a man like Samson, who was set apart specifically by God from his birth, and had two parents that were trusting and following God, if even he decides to do what was right in his own eyes, how much of a chance do we have? We don't have much of a chance, right? We are a slave to sin. We have the sin nature, just like Samson. Of our sinful nature, Pastor C.H. Spurgeon wrote, As the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. He added, the venom of sin is in the very fountain of our being. It has poisoned our heart. It is the very marrow of our bones and is as natural to us as anything that belongs to us. See, Samson had the same problem of sinfulness that we all have. But despite all of this, despite all of his flaws, amazingly, God still uses Samson. And God does the same for us, right? God still uses us despite all of our sinfulness and despite all of our flaws. So next I want to look at Samson's strength. We looked at his weakness. Now we're going to look at what his strengths were. So we're going to read Judges chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces, as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. What an amazing feat, right? I was just at the, the zoo with my family yesterday, and unfortunately the lions were doing what they like to do a lot of time. They were just laying out in the sun doing nothing. It seems like lions like to lay around and do nothing most of the day. But has anyone ever been to the Milwaukee Zoo and seen the lions active? Have you ever, have you ever seen that? Yeah, so they have an outdoor area and they have an indoor viewing area. And we were there a couple years ago and the lions were in this indoor viewing area. They have like a big rock and the male lion stood up upon the rock, showed all of its teeth and let out this giant roar. It was ferocious, it was tremendous. I'd never seen that before. And it was pretty scary. Uh, in that situation, I had my kids with me in that situation, and um, 
the, the first thing I thought was, thank God that this glass is between us. And ashamedly, the second thing I thought of was, well, I'm faster than that person and that person and that person. So if that glass doesn't work, you know, I can get out of here. I, I probably should have thought of my kids first, but <laughs> ashamed to say I didn't. I was just thinking about me. <laughs> but, but lions, they're ferocious animals. So this feat, even though it was a young lion by Samson, is, is pretty impressive. He did this with his bare hands. And through this encounter with the lion, we start to see what is going to set Samson apart. He is given superhuman strength to help intimidate and fight off the Philistines. Now, we don't know if Samson was aware of this strength beforehand, but from this incident on, we see these feats of strength from Samson. We won't cover these stories, but throughout the narrative, we see Samson do many things. We see him strike down 30 men of Ascalon. We see him defeat 1,000 Philistines. With a, and his weapon was the jawbone of a donkey. He defeated a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He also pulled the gates of a city up on his shoulders and for some reason carried them to the top of a large hill uh, that was outside the city. Why he did this, we really don't know, but it's, it's a feat of strength, that's for sure. And as I mentioned before, the Israelites themselves, his own people, they seemed to be afraid of him. When the Philistines came and encamped against Samson, it says in, in chapter 15 that the Israelites sent 3,000 men to try to capture him, right? You'd think they could send maybe 20, 30 guys, right, to try to capture Samson. They just send 3,000 men to, to convince him to surrender. That shows how strength, how, that shows the strength that he had and how people were intimidated of his great might and his power. But the author of Judges doesn't want us to see Samson as some sort of Israelite American gladiator. He wants us to notice the source of Samson's superhuman strength. Take a look at verse 6. We read that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Similar to how we see Samson controlled over and over again by his sins, his sinful desires, we see that when he, when he competes, when he um, defeats his enemy and has these feats of strength, he's controlled over and over again by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God who gives him strength. And we see this throughout the end of the book of Judges. And yet, despite having the Spirit of God empower him to help conquer his enemies, Samson, as we have seen, is severely flawed. So we're going to see the, probably, we're going to look at, finally here, the, the most famous story of Samson. The story of Samson and Delilah. It's in chapter 16 of Judges, if you want to turn there. And we aren't going to uh, read through the whole story. It's a pretty long narrative. So I'm going to do my best to kind of uh, explain it to you and narrate it. Uh, I'd recommend, if you, if you can this week, go through and read all of chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. You'll get a sense of the story and a few things that we missed today. And as we, as we go through the story of Samson and Delilah, we're ultimately going to see that Samson is going to show us that he's not the hero that the Israelites need, that we need a different kind of hero. So here's a quick outline of the story. Um, Samson, not surprisingly, he is in love with a different woman now. He's in love with this woman, Delilah. 
We don't know too much about Delilah. We know that she is from the Valley of Sirach, which is right next to where Samson was from. That's really about all we know about her. We're told in the story that the Philistines, their five lords, remember that five cities they had? They came to Delilah and convinced, convinced her to try to seduce Samson to tell, to tell her the secret to his power and to his strength. And they offered 1,100 pieces of silver each. And then what we see is Delilah tries to convince Samson to tell her the secret to his strength over and over again, three different times, but he lies to her every single time. And when we read this story, at least when I read it, the following question comes to mind. How could Samson continue to see Delilah, let alone trust her, after she tries to have him captured three separate times? I, if, it, if it was me, after the first time, I'm out of there, right? Like, let's not mess around with this. There's other fish in the sea. Let's, let's figure something else out. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to, to understand what's going on. And the answer has to be that he was completely blinded by his lust and his desire for this woman. I want us to read one verse, verse 6, and I want us to notice the boldness of Delilah. This is before uh, she even tries to have him captured. Verse 6 says, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where, where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. See, Delilah doesn't even hide her intentions. She, she comes straight out and she says what she's trying to do. And Samson, he, he's just blind by his lust and his desire for this woman. So as, as the, the story gets played out, first uh, he's tied up with these bowstrings. And uh, after Delilah seduces him, she ties him up with these bowstrings. He breaks free and goes out and she says, the Philistines are upon you. And he, and he comes and he attacks and defeats the Philistines. This happens three times. Once he's tied up with ropes. Um, and then there's another time where his hair is all tied up in a certain way. And each time, uh, Delilah is deceived because Samson lies to her. But the fourth time, Samson's kind of tired of this whole game. And Delilah finally gets the secret out of him, right? And, and Samson says to Delilah that the strength is the fact that I am a Nazarite set apart from God. Set apart for God. And that if you cut my hair, I will lose my strength and you can capture me. And sadly, this is what happens, right? And the story really, really highlights the utter brokenness and blindness caused by the sinful desires of Samson. And the result is, is that he is captured by the Philistines and he is literally made blind. They actually gouge out his eyes and they put him in a prison camp and his strength has left him. His vision is gone. And more importantly, it says that the Spirit of God has left him. He's completely powerless. This source of strength has left, has left this mighty Samson. Then at the end of chapter 15, or at the end of chapter 16, upon being humiliated by the Philistines during the gathering in their temple, um, we are going to see that God uses Samson one last time. So we're going to read this. It's in chapter 16, verses 25 through 30. This is, after, this is after Samson has been captured, his strength has left, and his eyes have been gouged out. Starting in verse 25. 
And when their hearts were merry, they, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to, called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and leaned with all of his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all of his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Tragically, we see that this judge with more potential than any other judge ended up wasting his life pursuing his own pleasures. Yes, God used Samson. He definitely used him to begin to save the Israelites from the Philistines. But think about it. How much more could have Samson done if he was obedient to God? He never once had a chance to lead an army into battle. And at the end of the narrative, the, the Israelites are in the same position that they began. They are still under the control of the Philistines. And that won't change till many years later. So what, so what is the point of this story? Why take up four chapters in the book of Judges to relive the life of this failed leader? Why do it? Why does God have this in here for us? Ultimately, we find out that Samson is not the type of hero that the people needed. Now, we admire him for his feats of strength, and for his ability, this, this hero ability, to stare death in the face and take on any challenger. But Samson was deeply flawed. And despite his amazing strength and reputation, he was helpless without God. This story clearly isn't in the Bible to make us want to emulate Samson, nor is its primary purpose to warn us what happens when we follow our own lusts or desires. So you see, this story is in the Bible to point us to a different kind of hero. A deliverer, a different kind of rescuer, a different kind of hero. It points to a hero who was a servant first. We need a hero who is meek and humble. A hero who is full of grace and truth. A hero who is tempted as we are, but without sin. A hero who defeated death on the cross. A hero who rose three days later, conquering sin and death. And a hero who is coming back with a sword to judge the nations and to gather his people. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he is the hero who all other heroes point to. His name is Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ is the reason that this story is in the Bible. 
Samson shows us that we need a, a different kind of hero. He's not the answer. His story is meant to point us forward to a true hero, one who did not fail, one who accomplished our salvation, one who did not give in to sin, but lived a perfect life, one who rescued a hopeless and lost people and powerless people like us. That's our king, right? That's King Jesus. He's the hero that Samson points toward. So what? How can, how can we apply this story and what Christ has done to our lives? Why does this matter to us? Well, the first, the first group of people I want to I talk to is anyone out there who's not trusting in Christ, anyone who is not following uh, Christ as their Lord and their Savior. But what I want us to see is this, this story shows us that we are hopelessly lost without a rescuer. Just like the people of Israel were hopelessly lost, following their own desires and whatever looked good to them in their own eyes. We all do the same. We are all, sin we are all sinful. And as Samson is not, was not the answer for the people of the Israelites, our world, our culture, we ourselves are not the answer. In Romans 5.8, we are told, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How awesome and great is it that we were, while we were lost and blind, Christ died for us. He came and saved us and rescued us. The gospel, the gospel message is simply this. While we are sinners and while all of us have sinned against the holy and perfect God, he has entered this world and he, he has rescued us. Jesus lived the perfect life that we never could. He was without sin. And as, as I mentioned, this servant, Jesus Christ, went and died on the cross for our sins and was raised three days later in victory because death could not hold him. And so the gospel tells us that while we are yet sinners, if we repent of our sins, if we turn from our sins and ask God for forgiveness and we trust and put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, that what God is going to do is, instead of looking upon us and our sinfulness and our brokenness, because we're all sinful and broken just like Samson was, what God does is he doesn't look on our sins. He looks on Jesus Christ and his goodness and his holiness and his righteousness. And then God welcomes us into his family and gives us his spirit, that same spirit that, Sam, that empowered Samson. Jesus is this rescuer. He is this hero that Samson pointed toward. And if you have not trusted in him, if you, are not, if you have not fully repented of your sins and put your trust in him, do that today. Call out to him. Trust in him. He is your savior. He is your rescuer. He is the hero. Uh, and then for those of us who uh, are trusting in Christ, who do believe upon him as our savior, what does this story have to tell us? Well, I think it tells us that we have a hero who has already won the victory. We have a hero who has already won the victory. We have something that these Israelite people did not. Right? They were waiting for a deliverer. They were waiting for a rescuer, a hero to save them from their enemies. But church, we have a Messiah who has already won the victory. 
Jesus has already won the victory over sin and death. He has delivered us. He is a self-sacrificial hero and has given us new life. And the same spirit of God that lived in Samson, that's, we have that power now, that same power in us. So church, let's live like it, right? When, when we are tempted, when we are tried, when sin comes knocking at our door, we can't do it in our own strength. We have to look to our Savior, our King, the perfect one who died for us, who rescued us, who already has won the victory over sin and death. Let's look to him, not in our own strength. Let's look to our rescuer and our Savior. I think Galatians 2.20 sums up beautifully um, this message. It says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, we are a new creation. Let's live like it. Let's live looking to our Redeemer, our Hero, and our Rescuer. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we praise you and thank you for this time to gather and open up your word. I ask that your spirit would would work in hearts today, Lord, and minds, that this message of Samson would show us our need for you, Jesus. We need you every hour. We need you every day. And we are lost without you. Lord, I pray that you give us the power and strength to look to you day in and day out. We praise your holy name. We thank you for being Lord, our hero, the one who has rescued us from our biggest problem or from our sins. We love you, God, and we praise your name. Amen. Okay, you can stay standing for the benediction. It's from Revelation chapter 19. As we have this great king who has conquered sin and death, we also know that he is coming back. Right, church? So we're going to read about that here. Let's envision our king here coming back. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. This is talking about Christ. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head has many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dripped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, linen white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule with them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then they saw an angel standing in the sun, the loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God. And we will gather with our God and our King the marriage supper of the land. Let's go with God. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. I hope you were encouraged and I'd like to personally invite you to attend one of our services here at Cross Point. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. Our people are warm and welcoming and we're all learning what it means to follow Jesus together. 
You can learn more about us at crosspointwestdallas.com where you'll find more episodes of our podcast and you can watch services on our YouTube channel. We live stream every Sunday morning at 10. Until next time, I'm Pastor Dave and I wish you a blessed day and I hope to be able to meet you soon.